Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, and I found out because I was at the Royal Society, I think last summer it was, and um, I met Barbara Sahakian, professor of clinical neuropsychology, and I... Basically, I was there because I narrate this documentary that um, Professor Stephen Hawking does for the Discovery Channel called Stephen Hawking's Universe. But at the end of a little clip of the highlights of the coming season, they then had this fantastic discussion about where science is, where it could be in the next 20 years, and what are the issues facing both science and the world, and what the world needs from science. And it was so eye-opening, so articulate, and the level of discussion was so invigorating that I just I kind of went out on a high. I hadn't really heard such extraordinarily clear ideas, brilliant communicators, fantastically interesting subject matters discussed with such intelligence for a long, long time. And and I met Barbara afterwards in the corridor and we were fired up and we were talking about certain aspects of what came up. And in particular, I think an understanding of science, as in the media image of science, the need for uh, light bulb moments and eureka headlines in order to engage the public interest to fire up funding and all of the sort of social and ethical issues that are complexified by how science presents itself in the world. I got talking, of course, I suddenly get, got, started getting very excited thinking about the ethics of science, re my work and Frankenstein and, and, and the, the little sort of shards of, of involvement or uh, links to, to her incredible expertise that I had and, and an interest that I had in them. And uh, we talked and talked. And she went, well, look, I, we, should we keep in contact? I said, well, I'd love that because I want to have more conversations and I want to hear more conversations like the ones we've just heard tonight. And she was good to her word and I kept in contact with her and then I got a call a few months, I guess, later saying, um, how would you like to be the guest director of the Cambridge Science Festival? And I went, oh God, um, what have I got myself involved in? I'm not a scientist. I wouldn't know where to begin. And how on earth do you cover as broad a canvas as what science is? I mean, how do you begin to encompass, say, for example, Barbara's specialty in neuropsychology um, with Stephen Hawking's specialty in astrophysics and just how on earth you answer the questions, the very, very large how and why is the universe in existence to what a very specific trial psychotropic drug might do to an Alzheimer's patient. And then I thought, well, that's exactly it, isn't it? And then all you have to do is personalize your interest with your work and what, what you have engaged with as a lay person outside of the requirements of roles or performances or jobs. And... Um, dive in and I kind of did and they've been brilliant they've been very supportive and I, I sort of suggested a couple of things and wrote the introduction and I, I wish I could be there in person but as I begged them to realize early on because of my very fortunate position at the moment I seem to be working non-stop and um, that's a good thing in an actor's life so I have to just keep doing that until until the offers dry up but um, I'd love to be there in person I just think it's fantastic I think to have a forum where adults young adults curious uh, lay people as well as experts and as well as children can come and literally get incredibly messy with hand paints, with um, lights, with whatever interactive tools they're going to be using for the family events 
and then sort of working your way up from that, the more sort of jovial um, things like the, the, the crime scene, um, which is a, I think might be a fun thing for the family to, to, to go and visit and try their hand at being a detective, to some of the leading experts in the world coming to talk about their disciplines is terribly exciting. And to have that one under one umbrella is just it's a great thing. It's a great reason to to shout out about it. So here I am shouting out about it. It's very interesting that you should mention both Professor Barbara Sahakian and Professor Stephen Hawking because they both exist in very different realms of science and arguably they both have very different reasons to want to communicate their science. Barbara, for the uninitiated, is a neuroscientist and works in schizophrenia, in smart drugs, in conditions that are very heavily stigmatised in the public and so there's clearly a drive for her to help people understand what these conditions are, where they come from, how we can treat them. Stephen, on the other side, of course, is working in cosmology and some of the biggest questions we can ask, which is far more abstract. And the drive to communicate that is far more about getting people interested in asking people to be curious about the really big questions. Do you think you can easily bring these two aspects together into something like a science festival? Well, for that very reason, I mean, I think answers in the question, the amount of variety of disciplines and the extraordinarily different disciplines that science encompasses answer questions as varied and broad as how can we use a new drug to affect um, patterns in the brain that may determine whether or not um, Alzheimer's is going to take hold or you know, a psychotropic drug that needs to be researched and marketed and have an immediate application to questions of um, how we came into existence and what existence is and the very nature of our being. It, you know, I think that's what's wonderful about a science festival is that you can basically cherry pick which end of those polarities you want to explore. And um, rather than being something that's specializing like a conference perhaps would in one specific discipline, you have the ability to go to your interests within this program, which is you know, one of the reasons I applaud it. I think a science festival is a really amusing and entertaining and informative way of engaging with these very important and influential topics. I suppose for the same reason science festivals are a fantastic vehicle for children to find out what it is that they might be interested in. You have a child who has a sense of wonder about the world, a sense of enthusiasm for science. An event like this will allow them to see what it's like to be a biologist, what it's like to be a neuroscientist, what it's like to study the cosmos and actually start to form aspirations towards being a scientist. Yeah, I, I think anything that encourages curiosity, children sometimes, sometimes in a very difficult way, ask why. And that level of curiosity, that, that, that seed of wanting and, and questing and, and thirsting for knowledge is what's so extraordinary about what science can give as far as a view into understanding the whys of the world. It's a great introduction, I think, for children. There are lots of very child-friendly events as well as adult and expert events. And it's natural. It's a very instinctive, biological imperative, a hardwired imperative, something that's just utterly, uh, well, for want of a better expression, in our DNA is to understand our, our environment, to, in, to intuit, but also to try and volitionally explore and conquer and create and move and, and understand. And I think anything that bridges the gap between a curiosity 
curiosity and the knowledge is a very, very healthy thing in our society, and I think that's why Science Festival is, is a fantastic fantastic event to take a child to. Was it nice to know as well that your portrayal of Sherlock Holmes has actually directly inspired one of the events, the Sinister Scientist? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was sort of waiting with bated breath to see what might come about. Um, and it sounds, it sounds terrific, and I genuinely wish I could go there, because, I mean, you can imagine, I've had a few conversations with policemen over my time of playing this role, and, of course, you know, there's only so much that they can talk about. I'd love to go on a crime scene, but... Um, this is sort of the perfect safe way to do that and not get in the way of some very important and serious work and, and try our hands out of the sort of expertise that I'm supposed to be a master of as Sherlock Holmes. But thank God for Conan Doyle and Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss for making me appear that way. So, you yeah, know, I, I, I was thrilled that they did that and I'd love, I'd love to visit, if only for that one event. But um, sadly, I think I'll be doing the real thing as in playing home is at the moment that people are doing that, so I might miss it. We can hope as well that that will have actually inspired the next generation of forensic scientists to people who've seen this on television and think, that's the job for me. Well, you never know. I mean, there's an awful... I, you know, he, uh, he is the origination of fictional detectives, I think. He really is the unique template. And I think there have been an awful lot of other fantastic creations that have come since, but with him, yes, you're right, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll... it'll, it'll romanticise that job to a level that might intrigue people enough to try and follow through and, and find a career in it because it is it's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating extension of what I think we all are uh, genetically hardwired to uh, to do which is to understand and ask why and how we live um, day to day w- w- using that reasoning and I think from, from childhood onwards that, that first step into adulthood is, is weirdly to start asking why to gain an understanding of your world and why it works the way it works and how how understand how it works is is really what learning and becoming an adult I guess is all about. Yeah, I, I, I imagine it might inspire a few, who knows? But um It'd be good if it did. I confess, as a scientist, one of the things I like so much about Sherlock Holmes is that he takes the mystical and he takes what appears to be intuition and he breaks it down and he explains how we can arrive at these conclusions based on facts, based on yeah. inference and experimentation. I mean, that's what's extraordinary about him. He has a sort of superhuman ability, but it is actually a very human-studied, achievable ability. It is uh, an extraordinary effort and requires a hell of a lot of sacrifice, which is maybe why he's uh, slightly sociopathic at times and impatient with mediocrity and the sort of mundanities that most of us are, are graceful enough to put up with um, with a bit more patience than him. But, um, you know, he, he genuinely achieves what he is capable of by hard work. So that that is inspiring. And he unpacks the mysteries of the world. And it, to me, that's, again, it's the, 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 this age-old question about what mystery is, what, what the unknown is. We can all stand in awe of the unknown and the majesty of what what it is that we're a part of in this life. But I think the beauty of science is that it is as beautiful to me as any religious or spiritual revelation to to have an understanding of your world. There's so much to wonder at, even though we have a really specific understanding of, of these things that we wonder at. I don't think that diminishes the romance of these discoveries. You know, it's it's still... You can still be in awe of something, even though you understand it. And I think that's what's remarkable about Holmes. And obviously he does it with a flourish, which is, which is entertaining, and, and that could be quite fun. He, he, he likes to pull back the curtain on, on the, the Wizard of Oz. He likes to see you know, what's going on, what, what's making the machine work, rather than just standing back and going, gosh, isn't that just fantastic?
and I think that that is a, that's a good thing. I think I can completely see why that marries with 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 scientists and their investigation of the world. Some of your more recent roles, in particular in in Star Trek and in the new Radio Four adaptation of uh, Neverwhere, involve touching on aspects of science. Obviously, Star Trek being science fiction, there's a lot of cosmology, a lot of space flight. In Neverwhere, there's a lot of discussion and the effects of altered states of perception. So, do you think that actually? through discussing these issues in art we can for example with star trek again we can encourage people to look more into space technology with neverwhere we can encourage people to consider the effects of altering our perception and the way that this may affect them culturally rather than necessarily in terms of scientific facts yes i think you know i think any gateway into appreciating science and investigating the real world of science in more detail is, is welcome. And I think if sci-fi or fantasy fiction can do that, that's, that's great. Sometimes fiction and art can marry with, um, with science, and that's a great thing. I mean, we were working in this extraordinary space in uh, a lot of the sequences that we did for Star Trek, a real location in Northern California, not far from San Francisco, called NIF, the National Ignition Facility. And it's a place where... Ed Moses and his team of extraordinary scientists are basically trying to create fusion, not fission, but fusion. They're trying to create hydrogen fusion. And they're using lasers fired at the most extraordinary speed through various um, lenses that reflect the the rays and change them from X-rays to gamma. I can't remember what they end up with when they hit the target, which is half the breadth of a human hair of hydrogen in this huge cell, hopefully one day, and I think it is a question of when, not if, create this new alternate energy supply. It's terribly exciting. One one burst of this could power San Francisco for over a year. I mean, it is the stuff of science fiction. And yet there we are running around pretending that we're in space doing certain things that I can't talk about because the film hasn't come out yet. And we're in, we're in this amazing futurescape that's there now that's part of our lives and culture now that was really exciting and exhilarating and there was a huge trade-off between the scientists working in the facility and all of us with our truckloads of cameras and dollies and lights and bells and whistles of the circus and us running around and all the actors in costume and, and our interaction with these people they loved it and we loved being with them it was it was a real it was a really special moment, actually, a really, really special moment. It was a privilege for us to be there, and they loved the entertainment of seeing this crazy circus come to their town. And so, yeah, I do, I really do think there is, there is, there is great fruit borne by um, literature and art and music and, and film and any form of expression that can go beyond pure science, that can intrigue and really captivate people, motivate people within the world of science, but also outside to take an interest in science. And I think that's, I think that's great. So why do you think these sorts of specifically public science festivals are actually very important? At the top of it all, you have what it, what it clearly is about this festival, which is a communication between science and an audience. It's about informing an audience. And it's also just a recognition, I think, in a moment in, to take in time to understand the benefits of the immense hard work and endless patience of every scientist that we all encounter every day. And the advancements, no matter how small they may be, or no matter how big they may be, it's, it's, that's the launching board, I think, for this. And it gives us a greater understanding 
and access to those scientists and the science that is conducted and, and the people involved. So I think it also invites in a very broad uh, family of an audience. I think, you know, literally a family. I think from, from children to um, experts to adults with an amateur interest, it just there is a very, very, very broad program that everyone can get involved in. I think it answers to that curiosity we all innately have, which is to ask why, a thing that begins in childhood and hopefully doesn't stop. I mean, just well, think about the children's events, the school zone, which is... Um, students putting on a, uh, I think from a secondary school and sixth form college, um, and they're the experts and they're showing what's happening in schools either as part of their curriculum or in after schools clubs and it's a chance to see, you know, them demonstrating what they might be capable of as our next generation of scientists and engineers and mathematicians. And then there are, there, are, there are events for children, like Not So Scary Skulls, which I think is on the 16th of March, which children are introduced to some of the weird and wonderful skulls of other animals and discover what they look like underneath their skin. And then for the even younger ones, it sounds there's this event called Crash Bang Squelch uh, on the 16th again, which is fun and weird and just crazy experiments. And I think, you know, it'll, it'll be a pretty hands-on experience for children to really physically engage with science. So everything from the theoretical to the practical, everything from the amateur interest to the expert eye, I think, is going to be catered for. And I, I, I think that's really important to have a, a focus on the world of science and the scientists who work so hard in that world. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to, to have been asked to be part of the festival. If you were able to teleport away from your busy recording schedule, what events would you try and come to at the festival? Well, obviously, top of the bill would have to be the interactive crime scene on the 16th of March, because while I fictionally portray someone who's rather adept at um, dealing with situations in that environment, I've never had that experience in real life for obvious reasons. Yeah, I think it could be a lot of fun. Although I would rather it be completely in private with no one else around, see how truly awful I am compared to the number one consulting detective that I play in uh, in The Shape of Sherlock. But um, I'd love to go to that one. And also I'd love to see the, um, well, there's an open afternoon at the Institute of Astronomy, and astronomy is a big interest of mine. And apparently there's going to be lots of talks and displays and demonstrations and um, and again, some more hand-on activities, which is great. It's such a broad mixture of interaction from talks and discussions and panel discussions and Q&As to letting us be the scientists experimenting and, and experiencing the environment for, at first hand, which is really great. There's, what else? Oh, Tim Radford, uh, who's an interesting writer, former science editor at The Guardian. He's showing a panel discussion on the future of energy, which I think that sounds like it's going to be very interesting. And I think Richard McMahon and Julian... Allwood, Emily Shuckburn, Tony Ralston are all talking on that topic. I can see in the program in front of me. That that would be something I'd very much, uh, I'd very much like to hear. I'd also, obviously, I'd love to see Barbara's um, event called Smarter, where um, I think the teenagers themselves are actually going to be leading a discussion, talking about performance-enhancing drugs, study and learning better drugs. I mean, I, Christ, I remember way back in the midst of the time when I was doing my A-levels and, and what have you, taking Pro Plus, which is just a pure caffeine pill. I know that's still readily available. You know, there's such an accent on performance testing and grading in education. And the sort of sick irony of that is it, it, it turns students into people who have to achieve based on exam results and coursework and testing. And it, it, it puts a massive pressure on very young people 
I don't know what the answer is, and I'm not an education expert, but it worries me that people feel under such um, pressure that they have to take drugs that could have quite long-lasting or even short-term, if not long-lasting, side effects. I think it's brilliant that people are standing up and talking about this subject who are actually experiencing it rather than it being a, a, a dry discussion of experts who are well outside the age of people affected by the discussion. So that's, that, that's something I really, really wish I could be at. But sadly, um, teletransportation not being possible in our lifetime quite yet, and uh, me being somewhere else means that I, I probably won't be able to make them, but I'm going to try. But funnily enough, I will be playing a fictional consulting detective in a crime scene, probably somewhere in, in Wales or, or London filming the third series of Sherlock. So if I'm not there, think of me as you're going around the interactive crime scene, and uh, good luck to you who, who, who do it. Are there any scientists that you're aware of that you'd be particularly keen to play? Is there anybody whose life you think is very interesting and would be a good challenge as an actor? Um, Alan Turing. <laughs> I would say that, wouldn't I? <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm lined up to play Alan Turing uh, in a film called, uh, well, the working title for it is called The Imitation Game. It's a fantastic script about his, his work at Bletchley, but also his life after that and his work on Christopher the First calculus machine computer in Manchester. So that's the first one that comes to mind, um, and very specifically because I'm just beginning my thoughts about him and my investigation of him. And um, what an extraordinary hero of science he was. He really was. And all too late came the apology from Gordon Brown, I think, in 2007 for a man that was hounded for his sexuality and completely overlooked for his utter brilliance. I mean, the man was at the forefront, let's say. I don't want to claim too much for him, but he, he cracked the Enigma code, which basically led to winning the intelligence war in the Second World War, which was a massive, if not the most crucial piece in the puzzle for our victory. And then he went on to do that little thing of inventing the computer. I mean, the guy's extraordinary. For those that don't know, you really do have an impressive roster of scientists that you have played. Could you take us yeah. through a couple of them? Sure. Well, uh, in the real world, I played Stephen Hawking and Heisenberg and Joseph Hooker, the botanist, Heisenberg, the nuclear physicist, Stephen Hawking, the astrophysicist. I mean, so extraordinary disciplines and extraordinary, extraordinary characters at crucial junctures of, of their, their lives as scientists. I, God knows why um, I've been asked to play those roles. I mean, some of them were parts I sought out. I mean, I very, I very much wanted to audition for the role of Stephen Hawking. Some of it is to do with just having a vague resemblance. And I think then on top of that, maybe an ability to have an interior life which can suggest the level of intelligence that Stephen Hawking has without, sadly, in my case, being able to touch it. But um, when I'm researching a role, what I try, always try to do is get to a level where I can cope reasonably well with the, with the science that's involved in our story. So I'm not doing a complete injustice by just pretending, but trying to trying to embody, trying to actually inhabit those moments of discovery by understanding them. And I certainly did that with Stephen and, and Heisenberg as well. And Joseph Hooker as well. I mean, I went to Kew Gardens and I, I looked at the original manuscripts and presses and talked to experts about his work and found out about the conditions of travel and how extraordinarily fragile the whole process was for Botany in those days and how perilous. I mean, the man would scale mountains to get the right sample and then Crossed the seven seas for months on perilous, perilous journeys where people would be struck by all sorts of maladies and meet all sorts of disasters and 
all to get back to Q and write it up and catalog it and give the world the information they needed about a far-flung species of plants. I mean, he was, he was incredible people doing incredible things. And Heisenberg at this crucial juncture of the war and this relationship with Niels Bohr and his wife, Greta. And uh, it's just an extraordinary group of people. And then playing Stephen Hawking was such an extraordinary privilege. I mean, to, to spend time with the man, to, to meet him both before and, and during, it was very daunting, I have to say. I mean, I, I've, I've an amazing man, and I'm sitting opposite him, feeling utterly inferior and being very far away from who he is now. And I, I, I'm trying to portray him at the time of, in his life, which even if he could give me the most fantastic insights and, and demonstrations of what he was like, he is still a man, was a man then in his in his 60s. So, um, yeah, it was very, very daunting. But I, all I needed was a smile, and I got one, and I felt blessed. And then I just went to work and try, tried really hard to do him in the script justice. And he came on set one day and said, very good, very realistic about a scene we were doing in a quad in Cambridge. And you really don't need any more encouragement than that from a living scientist to try your hardest to do the best job possible for, and to, to feel that you're, you're at least getting somewhere with it. So I was... I was over the moon, and um, we've been friends, and him, and him and his family and I have been friends um, ever since, which kind of neatly ties this up, because that's the reason I'm talking to you. Um, uh, I, I, I met him most recently in Barbara's company, which is how this whole conversation about the Cambridge Science Festival began.